Let's go to Esther chapter 5 tonight. Esther, as we continue our way through this most unique book in our Bible, we are now in chapter 5 at the place where Esther goes in before the king, her own husband. And even though they're married, she is at the risk of being killed for it. I don't recommend you structure your home the way they did. But she is going before the king because the decree has been issued by Haman that in 11 months, all the Jews would be eradicated. And so they have fasted in Shushan, all the Jews, that Mordecai could gather up. Esther and her maidens have fasted. They all fasted for three days, and we considered last time how there is a time for prayer and fasting, but then there must come a time for action. That has now arrived. Esther has put on her royal apparel, and she appeared before the king unbidden, but she had said, if I perish, I perish. It's interesting how the king summoned Vashti in chapter 1, but she didn't go before the king. And here the king doesn't summon Esther, but she goes before the king. Both were right in their decisions. We took note of God's providence once again, which is the theme of this whole book. God turns the heart of a king as he would turn a river. And as Esther has not been in the presence of the king for 30 days, she appears before the king unbidden, and God turned the heart of a king. And he extended to her the golden scepter, which meant that he was looking favorably upon her. He is accepting her. And then she touched the top of the golden scepter, indicating she is humbly submitting to her king, her husband, in her petition. And and I didn't get into this last time, but what a picture of our Lord who holds out the golden scepter to all humanity and says, all you have to do is receive me. The law of the king called for death. By the way, the law of God calls for death. Christ fulfilled the law. He paid the penalty of the law. He shed His blood. He died for us. And as His bride, we are always welcome into His presence. Amen. And before His throne. And if we come before Him in faith, we are told in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. And so we talked at the end of last week in some ways we can see Christ in these opening verses of chapter 5. And I I used a quote from, from Matthew Henry because one way is looking at the contrast of these two kingdoms, the, the Persian Empire and the kingdom of God. And Matthew Henry said this, Esther came to a proud, imperious man. We come to the God of love and grace. 
She was not called, we are. The Spirit says, come, and the bride says, come. She had a law against her, we have a promise, many a promise in favor of us. Ask and it shall be given you. She had no friend to introduce her or intercede for her, while on the contrary, he that was then the king's favorite was her enemy. But we have an advocate with the Father, and whom he is well pleased. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. And, and I added to that quote, which is very good, that Ahasuerus promised to give her to the half of the kingdom. Our king said, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so we're joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God. And so we enjoy all the benefits of, of being connected with Christ. And aren't you glad we don't have to fear entering into the presence of our king? Once we have been clothed in His royal apparel, which is a robe of His righteousness, we don't have to worry about being accepted, nor do we have to fear Him not wanting to hear our petitions. He wants to hear from us, amen? And so we ought to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's begin tonight. I want to once again this week read this entire chapter. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house and the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And I asked you last week if y'all could draw that for me, that would be a help. I'm a visual learner and that's a lot of words of houses there. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. The king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and, and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said, Moreover, yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then said Zeresh's wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. So we covered verses 1 through 3 last week, and I want to pick this up in verse 4, where we find Esther's request for the king to come to a banquet that she has prepared for him. In verse 1, 
she put on her finest royal apparel. And in verse 4, she invites him to a special meal. And I don't know if this was purposeful or not on her part, whether she realized it or not, but she's meeting the two fundamental carnal appetites of a man. Looks and food. Someone coined the phrase, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but it does highlight a point that men like food. Amen. Am I the only one? So in in verse 3, he sees her all decked out. And then he says, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. And in verse 6, at the banquet of wine, which in Persia meant this was after they had the meal, the the meats, they would follow that up with, with wine, juices, drinks. And he says again to Esther, What is thy petition? It shall be granted thee. What is thy request? Even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed. And so he he sees her all dolled up. His stomach is full. And he asks, what do you want? I'll give it to you. To the half of the kingdom. I think our wives in here probably know how weak their husbands are in these two areas. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Y'all can lighten up, amen? We're having fun with this. Give me food and look good doing it. You do that, I'll give you what you want. And a wife can wield a lot of influence over her husband. If they want to. And if you sense your marriage has cooled, why don't you try getting fixed up and cook them a steak? And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Everybody, you know, just look, it's Tuesday. Nobody else is here. Let's have fun. And, and listen, guys, I'm not saying it all has to be on the wife's side. You guys need to put forth some effort as well. You don't have to come in smelling like 10W30. <laughs> Carburetor cleaner with sawdust in your hair. You can put forth some effort. Well, this is not going over as good as I thought. I, um, and, and listen, you guys, you don't have to fool yourselves. You don't wield the kind of power that you may think you have. Whatever charm you may think you have. She's not wired like you are. We, you see, we try. We just come across as desperate. <laughs> what are you doing all fixed up? But, but ladies, you have what it takes. I know when my wife cooks me fried chicken, mashed taters, green beans, black-eyed peas, and cornbread... She is up to something. If she comes and rubs my arm just a certain way, I know it's going to cost me something. And so I thought about the woman in 2 Kings 4 who influenced her husband to care for Elisha, the man of God. He would pass by their way and she asked her husband if they could make a little chamber with a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick for him as he passed through. I don't know if she had to make fried chicken to get him to do it, but she encouraged her husband in a worthwhile endeavor. Or you can be a Jezebel, and you can use your influence for wickedness. (laughs) Who else am I going to look at? Well, anyway, that's just a passing observation, whatever. 
All right, back to our text. We're going to see in this chapter and the next God's providence in full motion. I mean, we've seen it already, but now it's really ramping up. It's going to be on display. This is going to be real fascinating to watch over the next two weeks. Esther invites the king and Haman to the banquet she has prepared in verse 4. And I found it kind of interesting that she invited Haman as well. One would think she wouldn't want to discuss the issue with Haman around. But she invites him. God's providence. We'll see. It'll make sense as we go. And and in verse 5, the king and Haman, they they go to the banquet. And in verse 6, the king reiterates to her, I'll grant you your request. What is your petition? But look at what Esther says in verses 7 and 8. My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king has said. (laughs) Well, this this is interesting. Why does she delay? Is she having second thoughts? Does she delay because she's becoming fearful and she's not as courageous now? It seems like that. It seems like that at first read. After all, let's remember, they fasted for three days. She's been accepted before the king while he was on the throne. And and he agreed to, to come to the banquet and he has twice told her, ask what you want and I'll give it to you. One would think there's no more opportune moment than right now to say this is what my request is. Even though it isn't stated... If there was prayer involved in her fasting, then surely she would have asked God for wisdom, don't you think? James 1.5 tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So is she being wise, or is she being a wimp? In one of Charles Spurgeon's sermons, he said of this moment, Was it timidity? It is possible. Did she think that Haman stood too high in the king's favor for her to prevail? It would be hard to say. Some of us are very unaccountable, but on that woman's unaccountable silence, far more was hanging than appears at first sight. Doubtless she longed to bring out her secret, but the words came not. God was in it. It was not the right time to speak. And therefore she was led to put off her disclosure. I dare say she regretted it and wondered when she would be able to come to the point but the Lord knew best, end quote. At this point, she's coming across as scared to the reader. As, as you're, if you don't know the end from the beginning, you're reading this, she kind of comes across as scared at this point. But we'll see later on how this is clearly God's providence for her to delay until the next day. Even though this is a, a dire situation, it appears things are in her favor and that she ought to say something, she, she pumps the brakes. And I'll use this instance to caution you about rushing into things. We need to be discerning of God's timing in all matters of our life. It's tempting to rush ahead of God in the impulse of the moment. Sometimes it isn't the right time. Martha and Mary both told Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. We need to learn to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
Because we need to understand that God is never early. God is never late. But God is always right on time. And so little did they know their Lord was about to work. Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead. He's going to live again. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 3.20 how our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Don't get ahead of God in your haste. No matter how noble the deed may seem. We see a contrast from what we considered last week. Last week I mentioned there's a time for action. But now we see there's also a time to wait. Benjamin Franklin famously said, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. I like to flip that around for me personally. Why do today what I can do tomorrow? Anyway, if I was a king, it'd be a procrastination. Nation, procrastination. I hate preaching on Tuesdays, amen? It just ain't no good. Anyway, he said, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. And that's good advice in some contexts, like don't be a lazy bum. But it isn't always the best advice in those times when we are looking for God to work. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We see in the opening verse, the opening of verse 9, how Haman, he's feeling pretty good about things. He's pretty pumped up here. He's on cloud nine. He's he's the only other one that's been invited to this banquet with the king and queen. But then he sees Mordecai. There he is in the king's gate and he doesn't stand or move for Haman and Haman becomes full of indignation against Mordecai. And I want to encourage you, don't allow others to control your emotions. I had just finished this had a phone call, and mercy, God said, did, did you not just remember what you studied? I wanted to, you ever want to reach through the phone and slap somebody? That was me today. And God said, didn't you say don't allow other people to control your emotions? Yes, Lord. We remind our children all the time when they get roused up because of someone else. You are no longer in control. You are allowing them to control you. They are dictating how you feel and how you act. It's a good reminder for parents as well. So let your relationship with God be all sufficient. Be comfortable enough in your relationship with God. It really doesn't matter what other people think. Walk with God close enough that you know who you are in Christ. And then it won't really matter as much what other people do. Well, Haman here is he's so full of pride that he just can't get over this man Mordecai refusing to bow and reverence him when he passes his way. But in verse 10, we see that Haman, he refrained himself because he's on this high. He's, he, he just came from this banquet. And when he gets home, he, he calls all his friends and his wife together to brag about it. In, in verse 11, he tells them about the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the ways that the king has promoted him. And now he's been advanced above all the princes and the servants of the king. 
And I got to thinking, have you ever met those people that always have to give you their resume? Some of you must. (laughs) I need my filter to work, but you've met those people, I'm sure. They constantly need that reassurance that they're as great as they think they are. Maybe I just need to park it here for a minute. I'm getting that sense from the Lord. You're not as great as you think you are. But people have to come. Well, I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to. I don't care what you used to do. What are you doing now? Well, did, did you see what I did? Did, did, I mean, did you notice? You didn't give me pulpit praise. Well, they didn't say hello to me at church. She wore the same thing. I bet somebody told her. Well, he didn't, he didn't return my text. He didn't answer my call. Oh, I bet y'all are real good buddies. People are absolutely ridiculous. Well, this is Haman. He has all this power and prestige, but he has to remind himself and others how great he is, how great he thinks he is. It's all pride, amen? Haman, he told them of his riches, his children, how he was promoted, how he was advanced. And in verse 12, he brags how he was the only other one at the banquet with them. He says, no other man but myself. And tomorrow am I invited again. It's all about Him. Do you know what Proverbs 27.2 tells us? Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. Those who seek for honor from the world will never be satisfied. In, In fact, it's the opposite. People become even more empty. God's the only one who can satisfy our soul's need. The woman at the well in John chapter 4 sought to be filled, but she needed the water of Christ to satisfy her soul. Nothing will fill your soul but God. Fulfill, maybe I should put it that way. Haman is so full of himself that he wants the world to revolve around him. Like a child. When Mordecai doesn't bow down, he's thinking, don't you know who I am? You know what he is? He's his own God. And he's the object of his, his worship. And let's not forget the warning in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. And eventually this is going to be true of Haman. Well, Haman has all this wealth and position and privilege, but look at what he says in verse 13. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. I mean, would you agree with me tonight? This guy's got some major issues. I just don't even want to go to church because I know Jared Benson's not going to say hello. All these people here, but I know this one person. Nobody else matters anything. None of that availeth anything to me because he just doesn't like me. Hey, I'm talking truth here. This is, this is what people come up with. I left that church because nobody liked me. What? Flesh attack right there. Let me pull back. So he's got some issues. I mean, let it go, dude. 
Let it go. And, and let me tell you, in any position of leadership, you're going to have to deal with those who just don't like you. You'll have to deal with those who simply don't respect you. It happened to me as an officer, and it's happened to me as a pastor. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe somebody would hate me. But listen, I, I just tell you, don't be a jerk. Just stay focused on what God's called you to do. Amen. It can be very difficult sometimes, especially when it's somebody close to you. But don't allow the haters to sideline you. They reviled our Lord. They will revile you. The, the difference is that when Christ was reviled, He reviled not again. That's hard, to, that's hard to learn. As my friend in North Dakota, many of you know Mike Overton, he would always say, praise God and press on. That's good advice. Notice what Haman's wife Zeresh and all his friends advise him to do in verse 14. Let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. Well, she seems like a real sweetheart, doesn't she? <laughs> oh, man. Remember how I said a wife can have influence over a husband? Look at how she's impacting her husband. She chooses to influence him to wickedness. She tells Haman, build a gallows 50 cubits high. That's 75 feet I mean, they're wanting to put this guy on display for all to see. And, and this is a most horrific way to kill a man. If you don't understand what's being said here, when you read of gallows, don't picture a hangman's noose. I think I mentioned this earlier in this book, but what it was in Persia and what it means is it was a stake. It was pointed at the end. And they would ram that through your body, just as you might expect, without getting too graphic, and it would come back through, and there you would hang until you die. It, it, it's horrendous. And it may, the, the only method maybe to rival it is Roman crucifixion. It, it, it just depends how you want to break that down, and we're not going to. They're both bad. But we do see at the end of verse 14 how this thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. And so Haman, he finally senses, now's the time that I'm going to get vengeance against Mordecai. And, and what I want to highlight in verse 14 is the speed in which Haman puts this plan into motion. Haman just returned from the banquet, which was probably late afternoon, early evening, I would, I would presume. He's just returned from this banquet, and he calls everybody together, and he's bragging. And so here it is in the evening, and he wants these gallows. He's going to have them completed by morning. He ain't messing around. You understand what I'm saying? And, and I want you to notice the contrast between Esther in this chapter and Haman in really part of chapter 4, but Esther and Haman. Esther took three days to fast, and then she goes in before the king. And at the banquet, she, she pulls up short of telling the king her petition. While Haman, on the other hand, he's moving without delay. He's not giving any more thought to this. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. The and the timing in all of this is so interesting, and I, we won't have time tonight to get into chapter 6. I wish we could. But it's so interesting. Esther pauses. Haman rushes. 
He builds the gallows in such a hurry to have Mordecai put to death the following day that we'll see in chapter 6 that he's back at the king's court in the morning. And, and I, won't, I, won't point, I won't preach the point again, but listen, take time to just take a deep breath, take a step back before you make a hasty decision that you'll end up regretting. We saw this in chapter 1 when Ahasuerus put away Vashti. Three years later, after his campaign against Greece, he goes, the Bible says he remembered Vashti. It was too late. And so be careful how quick you move with things. Don't get in the flesh and end up rushing a situation. You don't want to react, but you want to act. And there's a difference. As I was preparing for this, I was repeatedly reminded of of Psalm 37. And when you read Psalm 37, you easily see Haman and Esther in this psalm. You can go there with me if you want. I'm going to read most of it. And as you read this psalm, think about what we've just covered with these two. This psalm of David, Psalm 37. Let me, let me read the first 20 verses and then we'll skip down and read 28 through the end. Listen to this and picture our situation in our text. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken." A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs, they shall consume. Into smoke shall they consume away. Verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not His saints. They are preserved forever. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. 
The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I've seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. And and that to me so perfectly fits chapters 5 and 6 as we'll see next week even more. And, And if you know where things are headed here in Esther, you understand what that psalm is saying. Everything wicked, everything that Haman is planning, his wicked devices are about to be turned against him. And that's how God seems to work things out we see in the pages of Scripture. And so I want to tell you tonight, just walk with God. Always have peace that He's in control. He will, listen, He will deal with the wicked in His timing. And you have to trust that. Don't get ahead of God. Don't take matters into your own hands. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Let's pray.